You are listening to Healthy Voices Radio, where you will hear podcasts featuring stories from our Healthy Voices family, hosted by amazing advocates, interviewing amazing advocates. Now, here's your Healthy Voices Radio host, talking all things health-related, Robert Brining and Brady Dale Morris. Everybody and welcome to the second episode of Healthy Voices. This is Robert. Uh, hello, on behalf of me and uh, Brady here, and everyone at Healthy Voices. Brady, are you excited? I am excited. I am. I am. I am so stoked for today's show. We have a great guest lined up. So I just want to um, talk a little bit about our sponsors here. Healthy Voices Radio is produced and sponsored by Jansen, the founder of Healthy Voices. Healthy Voices is a groundbreaking leadership conference created exclusively to empower online health advocates. For more information on Healthy Voices, please visit HealthyVoices.com and follow at Healthy Voices on Twitter and Instagram for updates on this podcast as well as Twitter chats, webinars, and, of course, everything Healthy Voices 2019 related. So with that, I'm going to pass over uh, the mic to Brady for some housekeeping. Thank you, Robert. Um, Just some real quick disclaimers. Um, If you need medical advice or have any questions about your treatment or condition, we urge you to speak with your doctor as we cannot provide medical advice. Also, as a reminder for regulatory guidelines, we are not permitted to discuss any medications or products during today's episode. So we ask that, so that will not happen. Um, Let's see, information you post will be shared in a public capacity. Do not post or share any personal or confidential information. You do not want others to know. Do not post or share uh, any personal information about another person. And then also, Jansen has paid us to host and produce this podcast, episode, and series. All thoughts expressed here are our own. And so with that out of the way, let's talk about our guest today. Uh, we are going Woo-hoo. to have on Eileen Davidson, or chronic Eileen. Um, Eileen has always known about arthritis. Uh, her, her grandmother and her aunt had it. Uh, She had never really understood what her grandmother's need for double knee replacement surgery or her aunt's true reason for her wheelchair until Eileen was also diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis at the age of 29. Having to kiss her late 20s goodbye was only the beginning. Eileen ended up losing her ability to work as an esthetician. By the the time her her pain was taken seriously, she was eligible for long-term disability. Devastated by the toes arthritis was taking on her life, Matters only got worse when she received a diagnosis for osteoarthritis. Having to come to terms with both her RA and OA diagnoses, Ellen decided to fight this invisible enemy, not just for herself, but for her, also for her young son, Jacob, whom she is the single mother of. So with that said, I'm so excited to see how you have navigated through all of this, Eileen. Welcome to the show. Hi, it's an absolute honor to be here. Thank you for having me on here. Well, Eileen, so um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, as you covered, I am now 33. Uh, It's been four years since my diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis. I have a six-year-old son named Jacob, which I am a single mother to. And also joining me today is my nine-month-old kitten, Logan, who's on my lap. (laughs) He kind of is always attached to me. (laughs) Yes. Um, and I live in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. Awesome. Well, so um, Eileen, tell us a little bit about your journey with rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, what was life like leading up to your diagnosis? Well, I was quite young when I started to experience chronic pain, so I, I didn't really understand it because every time I had pain before, it sort of went away. Um, I was maybe have a back issue and I could go to a chiropractor and it would go away. Or if I was sick, I could take some antibiotics, it would go away. But then at one point the pain wasn't going away. Um, and I started to ask questions, but I was told because I was so young and my job as an esthetician that it was probably just purple tunnel. And so for quite some time I found that my pain was, uh, minimized because of my age, because I didn't look sick. I didn't have any swelling and my profession. So when the pain just got so overwhelming and it wasn't just 
pain in my hands. It was pain in my feet and my knees, my neck, my shoulders. It was also extreme fatigue. And I don't mean tired. It's uh, overwhelming fatigue that's kind of like a built-in wall inside you. Right. You can't think. It's totally different than being tired. And uh, I was really having a hard time with what was happening to me because I also just had a baby at this point. And that's when my disease started to really become rampant in me. And I was struggling trying to go back into work and having a child just about two years old. I couldn't wear him in a baby carrier for most of uh, his infancy. I had a lot of trouble with strollers, car seats, anything that had really hard to do buckles I couldn't really do. And I was like, how could carpal tunnel just be doing this? And so it it just got to the point where the pain became so unbearable, it started to affect my emotional health. And I suffered from some very severe postpartum depression because I didn't actually find out I was pregnant until I was six months old. (laughs) And so I had about 14 weeks to prepare to become a mother. So um, if I thought that was, you know, eye-opening, so is being diagnosed with a debilitating chronic illness. (laughs) Well, well, tell us about that, Eileen. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, tell us about that. The day of your diagnosis, was that a day of a relief for you or, or was it a, or yeah, was it a, actually it was because I remember making an appointment with my family doctor after she was just kind of like, is carpal tunnel, just wear a wrist brace. And I'd be like, wrist braces are so uncomfortable. I can't handle wearing these. I couldn't wear shoes. So when I finally went, and decided to go to my family doctor and say, hey, test me for rheumatoid arthritis because a coworker was like, you should probably get tested for it. And instantly I knew, I just knew that's what I had because the history with my grandmother having arthritis and her double knee replacements and then my aunt having had rheumatoid arthritis. And I never actually saw her walk more than a few steps. And um I know family history is big when it comes to your health. So I was like, okay, I need to ask for this rheumatoid arthritis test. And when I went into my doctor's office, she kind of brushed me off again, um, saying, oh, you're, you're too young. You don't have any swelling. It's probably fibromyalgia. And uh, she did the pressure point test. And it still hurt. Um, it was possible that it could have been fibromyalgia. I, I felt like I really wanted that blood test and I wanted those results. And I wanted to see the specialist that she was saying, okay, I'll send you to this one. And within a month, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, um, seropositive rheumatoid arthritis to be exact. And uh, that same week was uh, also the same week that my aunt who was in the wheelchair, passed away. So that was a really difficult time for me, but also sort of in an odd way relief because I finally knew that it wasn't all in my head. Right. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest, I was going to say it's one of the biggest things that, you know, people deal with who have invisible illnesses is, uh, you know, the stigma that carries with it that it doesn't, you can't, you don't look a certain way or, or, or it's not, you're too young, like kind of the stigma that, that comes with it. So my question yeah. for you is, you know, and then finally getting that answer from a doctor to diagnosis is like you said, a big relief, like the weight comes off your shoulders. You finally know what it is, you know? Yeah. How does uh, rheumatoid arthritis affect your daily life? Well, it's, I'm going to ask everybody to imagine you have the flu. You know when you have the body aches, the chills, you're tired, and this tired is like you just can't even, you have trouble brushing your teeth before bed because it's just like I don't want to get up. Right. And then run a marathon. (laughs) Hmm. 
and feel that pain in your body. That's kind of similar to what I imagine the best description for rheumatoid arthritis might be because it's a lot more than just joint pain. It's an overall body pain as well. Um, The fatigue, the cognitive dysfunction, and there's quite a bit of loss of mobility involved in it because it is damaging my joints and uh, so I might look completely healthy to someone and they might see me kicking ass on the elliptical but they can't see (laughs) that it's painful and then I'm struggling with malaise and nausea it's often sometimes also stomach issues infections it's it's kind of it hits your daily life in so many little ways it's quite the complex disease and uh, it could be just sometimes I can't even think about how to make a recipe that I've made for so long just because I'm in such a fog or I am in so much pain I just can't think or concentrate on anything else than the pain and I just need to Usually exercise is what gets me out of that. Well, that's kind of funny because that kind of leads into the next question is what kind of tools um, work best for you in coping um, with your rheumatoid arthritis when you're having maybe a bad day? What are some uh, self-care tactics that work for you? Uh, Well, it's taken me quite some time to figure out all the self-care tactics that one does need to do to take care of rheumatoid arthritis. It actually ends up sort of being almost a full-time job, just taking care of yourself with chronic illness. Uh, For me in particular, and now this isn't something that would work for everyone. Every case is different. Um, And uh, it's something that people need to ask their healthcare professionals what advice might work for them. But for me in particular, after I was okayed by a physiotherapist, my rheumatologist, occupational therapist, all those people, I said, can I exercise? And then they're like, yes, that would be very beneficial for your your health. And so I've never been a fan of exercise in my day, except for I love to dance. Dancing was my thing. But rheumatoid arthritis kind of stole my ability to do that because it is more of a high-impact exercise. And so I just, I wasn't really interested in being active. It wasn't really fulfillment to me. It was painful. I didn't know how to do it. So I started to think, okay, well, I'm just going to try the elliptical. I kind of like those things from when I remember, like, gym in high school. And I started doing it and I realized well this one doesn't hurt but say like a treadmill does and then I started to speak with various different healthcare providers like physiotherapists and whatnot what are the best types of exercise and they were like well low impact exercises so I started to look around in my various different low impact exercises that I could do and I discovered that movement was probably the best thing that I could do for my illness, even though sometimes when you're in pain, all you want to do is just lay down and be miserable. Right. I found my, the exercise is one of the, oddly enough, the thing that breaks my fatigue the most. <laughs> even though it's not something that happens overnight for me, but when it does happen, I am so grateful that I have the ability to be able to do that exercise. And it doesn't make me feel better, like, completely, but it helps so much. And then also making sure I don't overdo it and I exercise safely. Right. I completely understand that. Go on, Robert. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, no, that's exactly one of the next things I was going to talk about is maybe, um, you know, how she stays active. Um, and one of the things you, you brought up was, was dancing, and, and you were a fan of dancing. You know, my partner deals with a lot of pain issues, osteoarthritis and, and fibromyalgia, and he was a dancer too, and he always says that that's something that he wishes he could go out and do again. Um, how, how, you know, are you able to dance at all? Like, do you go and do any kind of uh, maybe, like, I don't know, routine dancing or, or, or learning how to do, a, I don't know, country line dancing or something like that? Just no, to kind of get the, the movement going? 
I haven't in years, um, and I was never, I never took classes. I just kind of like to do go-go dancing, burlesque dancing, and swing dancing. Um, I loved dancing to rockabilly and all those kind of things. And then I also was uh, heavily involved in the heavy metal scene, and so I, I often was the mosh pit. And so it was just, I guess, my love for music what is what moved me. Um and so one of the things that really helps me exercise is that uh, on the elliptical, I'm using my arms and my legs at the same time. And I can just, like, get my heart rate moving and I can listen to songs that I probably would have, you know, want to dance to. And I just go into my zone. And it's very therapeutic to me. That's awesome, Eileen. And and I think you made some really great points there that even as the patient, you know, there are times that – that there are some responsibilities of our own that we have to do to keep moving forward and to push ourselves forward to get better or to, to live comfortably or more comfortably with our chronic uh, chronic uh, illness. Um, can you tell me real quick, how do uh, family and friends encourage you on those days when you are having a flare-up or a bad pain day? Well, um, I live with a 60-year-old who is, very, very slowly starting to realize the reality of what chronic illness and living with a disease is like. And he's uh, he's become very empathetic towards others, and he's very supportive. So if I'm having a bad day, he will be like, that's okay. Mom, we'll just watch movies or we'll just relax. And he's very, he gives me my space when I need it. Even if that makes me feel very guilty as a mother because I wish I could, you know, do more. It's something I swear all people with chronic illness kind of feel sometimes is we wish we could do more when our disease kind of prevents us from being able to really be who ideally we'd want to be in, I guess, a healthy body. Right. Uh, No, I get it, yeah. Yeah, and... It, it took a long time for my ex to kind of understand what I was going through because he didn't really understand exactly what arthritis was all about or, you know, how fatigue worked. I didn't know how to fatigue, how fatigue really worked at that point. I didn't really know how to explain it. And, you know, we're, we were kind of recent exes, so it's not like we really wanted to listen to each other, right? Um, yeah. So there is some definite heated arguments between us about my illness and maybe him not wanting to believe it, especially since I didn't look sick. But over time, he kind of started to see the wear and tear that arthritis was having on me, and he became very supportive. And he actually ended up making friends with a person at work who is disabled, and I've noticed ever since then he's kind of linked the two and what chronic illness is like on someone. And over time, he's become really compassionate, empathetic, and supportive of when I need help with my disease. And um, even though we aren't together, we co-parent perfectly together. All right. Um, Well, you were talking about, you know, the the need for communication um, with your partner, and and that is something along – all chronic illnesses, um, especially when you are in a relationship or, or seeing someone, the need to, for open communication and, and to come to a point of, of mutual understanding. Um, because that a lot of times, those of us with the chronic conditions, we're just learning about it ourselves. And so it's really hard to convey that to someone else when we don't even know how to really describe it ourselves. So so great point. And thank you for bringing that up, Eileen. Um, and you also touched on the fact that being chronically ill comes with a lot of psychological challenges like feelings of sadness and grief, um, losing part of your identity, there can be anxiety about the future, and sometimes even a lack of support or misunderstanding from family and friends. Um, how do you deal with the emotional and social side of living with, with multiple chronic illnesses? That is, I would say, probably one of the biggest challenges of living with chronic illness, uh, particularly rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, depression is actually a symptom of RA, and 
there are some very interesting research studies going on now with involving the how uh, RA affects your mental health, and we could touch base on that in a moment. But for myself, um, it it took some time to really learn how to not work against my mind as much because sometimes there's just so much, so many different emotions that come with living with chronic pain and what exactly it does, the toll that it takes on someone's life. Like for me, I lost the ability to do the job that I loved to do before I was really fast at it. I was an esthetician. I did lots of Brazilian waxes. So I used to call myself the rug doctor because I did them in so fast, like 10 minutes. <laughs> right. And, uh, then when I started to experience the pain and plus like the, it, it wasn't just pain, it's debilitating pain because there is damage happening to my joints. Uh, I couldn't do my job as good as I used to. And it was actually starting to get so painful that I would sit in the back room crying. And I was like, I don't understand this pain. I don't understand this pain. And I was so terrified at first that I would never get any relief, that it would just get bad. And um, it, it severely affected my mental health uh, for, I guess, I would say a number of years until I finally got the relief that I needed. And, and it how, was a battle. How did you come to that? To, I'm sorry, Eileen. How did, you, how did you learn to navigate? Like, can you give us any tips on how you did come to learn how to deal with that? and navigate that? I, first of all, the best thing you could find out is you're not alone. Um, finding people that understand who, what you are going through by reading stories, patient stories is huge. That is very, very, it's just so nice to know that you're not alone. There's, it's not something that's wrong with you. It, you're dealing with something very real. And I found going to see a social worker and just discussing all the stigmas and the toll that it was taking on my life and just being able to say everything that I was feeling was so therapeutic, getting it off my chest. I would always walk away from every session thinking, oh, I just feel so much better. Then there's also the pharmacological side, not being so scared of the medications involved because they can really help. And then there is just taking control of your health, whether it be self-care of, you know, as I said, taking the full-time job of taking care of yourself, the exercise, the diet, the doctor's, the meditation, the yoga, the time alone, which whatever you need is what you need to focus on because your body is screaming for something and it's not, it's not a good idea to ignore it. Right. And, and I, you brought up a great point as well as to as finding your community. And that's one thing I love about Healthy Voices is there's a huge focus on finding your tribe. Um, and you alluded to a little bit about that. Um, just how important was finding your tribe um, in you being able to, to live with and manage your rheumatoid arthritis? It was absolutely life-changing for me. I've made so many friends uh, since I've started my patient advocacy. And I was severely bullied a lot for basically what people thought was wrong with me, Right. Um, that's what people typically right. bully people about. And, you know, I walked away from that feeling very broken and very insecure and vulnerable. Uh, the thought about opening up to say, hey, world, this is what's wrong with me. I've got this, 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 and this, and I have a hard time, you know, sometimes washing dishes as uh, something that's kind of scary to somebody who's dealt with say bullying in their past and right uh i've actually learned it was one of the best things i've ever done in my life opening up my vulnerabilities to other people because they're like because you said that i feel like i can move forward or i can do it too and Absolutely. then 
just meeting people who are actually interested in who you are as a person and who understand what you're going through and they understand your needs and why maybe you're going through a hard time or maybe you can't handle something at the moment. You You know, it might be a hard day with pain or maybe just the stress of living on disability and chronic illness is getting to somebody because often we can crack a little and they're right. really great people to turn to and they've become my family. And even though so many of them live really, really far away um, and you know, there's so many advocates that I've met that don't have the same condition as me, but we're still connected because we understand what we're going through. I love the fact that I now have friends who are epilepsy advocates or you guys, you're HIV advocates. I've met so many amazing advocates of different chronic illnesses, but we're so connected. And I really strongly believe that we are all stronger together. Absolutely. I totally, totally and, agree. And, and I'm really curious. Uh, I'm just really curious, Eileen. Um, part of your psychological and, and dealing with, you know, with day-to-day things, um, there is the aspect of intimacy, and dating and relationships, and you have not only the rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis and fibromyalgia, um, but also you're a single mother. Um, how do you have any tips for for our listeners on how to navigate living with a chronic condition and trying to to deal with those with those other issues and dating and relationships? Uh, definitely. Try dating within the medical community because I honestly find the men are very compassionate and empathetic, and it's somehow so relieving when they already know about your condition. You don't uh, have to I explain can it. See that? That totally, <laughs> yeah. totally makes sense to me. Yes, yes. So I, it's taught me a lot of life lessons and the type of people that you want in your life and to really listen to what people are saying, especially on something like a first date and how they treat you. And so I, I like to be open and honest. I think that is the best thing you can do. And like, honestly, like with the brain fog that comes with this illness, it's not a good idea to lie because you're not going to remember where you lie anyways. You know, I'm really excited and so ha- happy to hear you say just being open and honest, because especially, you know, living with HIV, that is a big, you know, intimacy and, and dating and relationships is really hard. Um, but if you're open and honest about your condition to begin with, if those people bail, then then they're doing you a favor. <laughs> so they so are. I love you. Yeah, I love you saying that. Yeah, I have, I get a lot of, uh, I do get a lot of male attention, which it feels nice, but it's also at the same time a little hurtful because I don't look sick, but when I tell them I am, it doesn't really move anything forward. There, there always a stop kind of after I tell them my problem, but except for the, usually I've had more success with men in the uh, medical side for some reason. <laughs> so that's my advice. But um, being open and honest is good a good idea. Uh, I really find it a little hurtful when people ask you right away how it uh, affects sex. Like, there's so many things that are more important than how it affects you than just sex, especially when in a relationship. But it does. I mean, like it's kind of like saying, "Sorry, not tonight, honey. I'm feeling arthritic." I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Robert. Sorry. Well, one of the I, things I, I wanted to—I got you. One of the things I wanted to uh, bring up next is, for me, it was one of the most empowering moments in my life. Was when I kind of learned how to. Um, advocate for myself. So can you tell us a little bit about how did you learn how to advocate for yourself and how did you become inspired to do it? Because, yeah, I want to learn that first before I go on to to something else. Well, I 
think the most empowering moment that I guess I became an advocate was when I walked into that doctor's office and said, test me for rheumatoid arthritis, even though they didn't really want to. And then uh, when I received my second arthritis diagnosis, the osteoarthritis, I, I was really devastated at that point and having a hard time and people were, I was starting to really notice the misconceptions and stigmas that are surrounding arthritis at this point. And it really ticked me off. So I guess hell hath no fury like a woman with chronic illness wanting to <laughs> make a change. And I introduced myself to the Arthritis Society after people were saying, you're a talented writer, why don't you try being a blogger? And I was never really one who read a lot of blogs or anything like that before. So I was like, okay, I think I could figure that out. And I went to the Arthritis Society and said, hi, people are saying because that I am a young woman. I have a lot of tattoos. I don't look sick and I have rheumatoid arthritis, but I could volunteer with you. And they, they loved my story. So uh, there was a wonderful woman that I was involved with, the communications manager, and she just taught me so much about the stigmas, the misconceptions, and how it takes its toll on research and advocacy and awareness when it comes to arthritis, not even just as for myself as a person, but as a whole in the country and in the world, because it's a lot more devastating than people actually think. It is one of the uh, number one long-term causes of disability in the world. And when I started to learn the actual facts about my illness, I, my eyes, my mind, everything was flooded with ideas on how I could create awareness around arthritis and kind of give it more of a sexier and uh, twist to it than just the little old lady. Um, right. I wanted to exactly. show the invisible pain and the emotions behind it. And so I decided to create my blog. And that's when I got noticed for my advocacy. And I've had an amazing time since. You know, most of I see your advocacy comes from writing. Is that something that you were you know, always doing as uh, as a kid, like in school and stuff? Like, were you a good writer? Were you somebody who was, uh, you know, always expressing themselves or artistically in that way? Well, I came from the day and age of live journal. <laughs> and, uh, I remember ranting on there, but not really having a purpose or just being young. Um, and then I... In high school, I remember my creative writing 12 class was probably one of the only classes I ever got a A in because now that I understand illness, I can look back into high school and realize I was suffering quite severely with depression. I was quite suicidal in high school from bullying and low self-esteem, family issues, and um my writing was definitely a form of therapy back then. And so it's just something that kind of comes natural to me. And I use it now as a form of therapy and to educate others. Yeah. I I remember, you know, starting advocacy and kind of finding my niche. And it sounds like you really found your niche there, you know, within the community to, to do your own little thing and to, to make noise and to be different, you know, and, and not just fit the mold of what, you know, or I may look like or what it's perceived to be, and you're smashing stigma. I think it's amazing work that you're doing. Thank you. I, I'd i like to branch out more than just writing, though. I am trying to get into doing public speaking because it's actually quite scary. I guess I like to scare myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's a challenge. I like to challenge myself. 
I'm here today, still here. My disease hasn't killed me, so why not challenge myself? Why not push myself, especially when it's for the greater good? Um, And so I really wanted to get into more public speaking um, as well as I like to involve my advocacy with organizations like Arthritis Research Canada or the Arthritis Society being involved in committees, fundraising events different boards and whatnot. Um, we're talking about your writing here, Eileen. Um, I know that you've written um, some for Healthline.com. What are some other places where people could look up some of the things you've written other than just your blog? Well, they can find me on the Mighty under Eileen Davidson. There's a couple articles I've written for Healthline. I've also recently just been uh, interviewed for Creaky Joints, which was an amazing article. And then they can even read some of my stuff on the Arthritis Research Canada website. And they can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I also help run a Facebook community called Rheumatoid Arthritis Support. And uh, I'm always looking to share my story and create awareness. Awesome. Um I noticed in some of the reading, and I just want to say real quick, too, one of my favorite articles that I read, you were in Reader's Digest Canada, and that was just an amazing article as well about you. Um, But you've written before that arthritis is your villain and my blessing in disguise. Can you explain that to to our listeners? Ah, yes. So arthritis being diagnosed as chronic illness, definitely I opened my eyes up into kind of more – of a purposeful life, to become more of a compassionate, empathetic person, uh, to take better care of myself and realize I was worth it in the end, and to help me become a better mother, help me to be a better friend, lover, whenever that actually happens. <laughs> and uh, just to overall just become a better person and to become the fighter and have a you know, use up all this energy that's inside me for something that is the greater good and um, falling in love with volunteering and helping others. Awesome. Well, um, I'm curious, Eileen. Um, you know, you grew up watching your grandmother and your aunt, um, and I think you said that was all on your dad's side, uh, fight arthritis. How did your perception and understanding of of this chronic condition change after your own diagnosis? I noticed, unfortunately, that there was a lot of snarky comments people would make around my family members who were in chronic pain of it, you know, oh, it's just arthritis or it can't be that bad or just push through it. But these are actually severe illnesses that you can't, just push through all the time. They do affect life quite severely, Um, especially since, you know, arthritis, or particularly rheumatoid arthritis, doesn't just affect the joints. It's an autoimmune disease, so it does affect the brain, the heart, the lungs, the skin, various other things. And there's over 100 forms of arthritis to begin with. Um, Some of them are quite devastating. Some of them can be deadly, like shorgens or lupus. Um, there's really hard to pronounce ones like ankylosing spondylitis, which took me a really long time to figure out how to say that so nice. What was that called again? Ankylosing spondylitis. I wow. hope I got it right. It took me a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then like, like just learning. At, yeah, and like <laughs> that one, it's, there's psoriatic arthritis and how um, more women have the autoimmune arthritis, and then um, also that children can get it, which is something that I find as a mother really devastating because I can't imagine a young child going through this. I couldn't either, you know. Especially, go ahead, Brady, I'm sorry. 
I know I was going to say, especially as a child, not having developed the coping mechanisms that many of us have have, have developed as adults and, and having to do as a child, uh, I mean, I'm not a parent myself, but my heart goes out to all those parents whose, whose children are facing a chronic illness like this. Um, I, I can empathize. Yes, I've met some of the children at uh, volunteer events, walks, and things like that, family day events. And, you know, you can learn a lot from the young people that go through these things. And, and, I, and you're bringing up a great point. I think, it's great. I think it's great that you're involving your child in all of these so that he, you're raising him to, with this empathy, for people um, who are different or who have these chronic illnesses that he may not understand, but he's still developing that empathy, and I think that's fantastic. Yes, actually, that was put on his report card, of all things. Uh, they said Jacob is very empathetic and compassionate towards other students, and I've seen him actually go out and play with you know children that typically don't get played with because maybe a physical disability or something like that. And, you know, it breaks my heart to, to know that people do that and, and because mm-hmm. I know what it feels like to lose friends and family members because I am disabled, because I have problems myself. So it's a very lonely situation at times for people. And that my son is learning that there's nothing actually wrong with these people. And he could figure that out so young, and he figures out, you know, the limitations that his mother has, but he still loves me, is very rewarding. I think it's awesome. That just just shows, like, your ability to parent, that you're a great parent, a great mother, to, 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 to kind of share that and to instill that in your child, to go out there and show that, you know, unconditional love and be able to just go and be friends with anybody and not judge people. It's just, it just, to me, it just shows how good of a parent you are and how well you're doing raising him as a single mother. I think it's applaudable all around. Thank you. I I think it's a very important lesson to learn in life. Absolutely. I'm sorry. Oh, we, we kind of come from a time where people like to judge. So, Oh yeah. Sometimes I totally. say, let's so just put the judge right judgment on away. Lovey, always. We're yes. stronger so together. Speaking of, of, of judgment, um, what are some of the stigmas that you have encountered in your advocacy work at all? Uh, the tumor will cure me. <laughs> um, <laughs> basically, it's just, unfortunately, with arthritis or chronic pain, uh, not as many people take it as serious as some of the more devastating illnesses out there. And I'm not going to say that it's a competition or anything, but I will once again say we are all stronger together. And especially mm-hmm. since so many chronic illnesses are linked in different ways. Um, with particularly arthritis, it's always like, oh, my grandmother has that. And it's just like, right. your joint hurt like oh you know um they might not understand why i might be 33 years old and not able to work a full-time job yet there is some people out there that have an illness the same illness and they're able to work they're able to push through it because not every case is the same and also like not a lot of people really understand that children get arthritis it has to be frustrating you know what I mean? Because it's very frustrating. Because it's, it's hard to, to have to always constantly explain that you're in pain because it's not something that can be, you know, measured. It's something that's inside your body. And looking at somebody like yourself, you know, all the tattoos, you think this girl's going to, you know, kick some butt and, you know, she, she doesn't feel pain at all. Look at those tats. And then, you know, it, it's got to be frustrating to always having to explain yourself. What are some tips well, that you, you know, use to, to help, I guess, navigate the people around you who may not be educated about, you know, any of the chronic conditions that you you are dealing with. What have you used like tips to, to help navigate yourself in that aspect to help them kind of be more supportive? Well, you can't change stupid. First of all, (laughs) (laughs) um, first hashtag of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 
I also, you know, I always remind them, tattoo pain is something that stops. It takes, what, an hour, uh, two hours, three hours, however long somebody can go. I can usually only handle three hours at a point because I do live with chronic pain. It gets too painful. But that pain stops. Imagine a pain that doesn't stop, that um, I just ask them to think, well, when, when is the time that you couldn't do something because you had a pain? And I'll imagine that pain never ending. Imagine that flu-like feeling never ending. Imagine that hangover never ending. And that's sometimes kind of eye-opening to people because, honestly, rheumatoid arthritis sort of does feel like you have a hangover. <laughs> And that's, that's, that's no fun. Too, that you can tell other people that, that your tattoos is a pain that you can control, but your arthritis is one that you cannot control. So it's a way for yeah. you powering yourself to take control of, of some of pain. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I had to take some uh, definite control in my life. After I was diagnosed, I fell in love with exercise. I started eating just very healthy. I started researching different nutrition things. I found places like Healthline. They have authority nutrition on YouTube that was just so beneficial. And then speaking to other um, doctors and whatnot for nutrition advice and taking it also that every case is different. Well, some diets help others they don't help everyone and they're not feasible or as a single mother with a young child I'm not always able to eat perfectly green food all day long but I try my best and that is what matters and I've gotten really far I've lost 60 pounds and I that's one pound is equivalent to four pounds off your joints. So I've actually eliminated quite a bit of pain in my body by doing that. That's great. I think exercise is good if you can do it, you know, and and kudos for you making those strides. Yes, and there's so many different types of exercise, and sometimes it takes a long time to get there. Like, I I can't always do it in a bad flare, and... I had to go through a journey of medication and trying different things until I found out what worked for me. And it doesn't always work for the same, you know, every everyone else, but you got to realize that you're a fighter and you're not going to give up. That's true. We all have to keep that fight. You know, that's the first step of conquering anything that we need to, to go about. So uh, the next question is, for you is, do you think that uh, your RA diagnosis would have impacted you the way that it has, like made you, you know, more empowered and have more courage to face your fears? Do you think that it would have impacted you the way that it has, or has it, is it a shock to you? When I was first diagnosed, I thought it was a death sentence, <laughs> and that's kind of the way I sort of acted, I guess. Yeah, I was I was terrified, especially when I started to research exactly like this now very scary chronic illness I was diagnosed and had no idea about and I started to feel all the things and the stigma is around arthritis I think I also made my rheumatologist go a little crazy there when I was you know in her office be like Tessie for something else I don't think it's rheumatoid arthritis I think it's something else I think it's something else you know and Hmm. it took me a while to accept that wow this disease is so much more than you know people ideas of what it is and um when I it just took me a long time to come to the emotional terms of being uh diagnosed and the anger the sadness the grief the guilt uh and all the situation like the the pieces of my life that arthritis slowly chipped away at I had to rebuild myself from almost nothing at that point I felt like I was in some ways almost reborn because I just had to learn how to do things over right but you couldn't tell looking at me and learning how to do things over um what have you learned about living with rheumatoid arthritis that you could possibly pass on to to others uh, our listeners and and others across the Healthy Voices family and beyond who are facing these kind of health challenges. 
My three favorite things to recommend, I call them the three Ps. Psychological support is huge. There's no, there's no shame in reaching out for any kind of psychological help. There is. Um, the physiological help that you can get, so a physiotherapist, your rheumatologist, or whatever kind of specialist you need, massage, chiropractor, all sorts, and then pharmacological. Now, that is a very tricky one because it can take a lot of medications and side effects to go through until you find the right one. But there's one thing that you can keep on to, and that's hope. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Never give up hope. Um, yeah. Well, real quick, Eileen, um, what do you think needs to be done to further increase uh, awareness in both medical and community and the general public in terms of rheumatoid arthritis? What I hear the most in the rheumatoid arthritis or our arthritis community is use more real people. Use real cases of what is happening and show, don't be afraid to show the ugly side of chronic illness because that is reality. It gets like that. And that is so empowering to people to show them that, hey, that person was in a really ugly spot. They got out of it. And this is how that means maybe I can too, because I might be in that spot when they were really suffering and they might feel so lost. It, and then also the people that don't have the disease can kind of under, understand more. And they, they can see that it's, you know, not just people smiling and having a walk and their joint pain's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Use patients. Use, use those of us yeah. living. Yes. And pay yeah. us. Yeah. Pay us for it, too. Our, our intellectual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I volunteer so much with my advocacy, so it would be nice to get paid. You know what? That would, that's what makes a good advocate, you know, and, and, and I'm looking at the chat room here, and Barbie and Ken are in there hanging out listening to the show live. Hi, guys. And they agree with you. Use real pain. Oh, use real patience. Okay. So important. I just have to say I, I listened to Barbie's thing like two or three times and I was so nervous to come on after her because she's such an <laughs> idol of mine. Oh. I'm in absolute awe of her. <laughs> we all and are. their love we story, oh my god. I want their love story. That's like my idea. Like I was almost in tears <laughs> listening to their Barbie and Ken story. I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Eileen, before we let you go, I just want to ask you to share any projects that you're working on and let people know where they can find you on social media and, of course, direct everybody to your website. Okay. Well, they can find me at chronicEileen.com. Now, that is just like the Dexy Midnight Rider song from the 80s, Chronic Eileen, E-I-L-E-E-N. And they can also find me on Healthline. They, I was once in Reader's Digest Canada, which is really cool. It's also once in Inked Magazine, which was a dream of mine. Uh, they can find me on The Mighty. They can find me on Instagram at Chronic Eileen, Facebook at Chronic Eileen, or Rheumatoid Arthritis Support. They can find me on Twitter at Chronic Eileen. And they can find me at Healthy Voices in Texas next month, which I'm Ooh. so excited for. <laughs> yes. And you know what? They can also, I also urge them to check out uh, two places that I am involved with, which is Arthritis Research Canada. I'm on their patient advisory board. And also to check out the Arthritis Society. I'm an ambassador for them. So I work closely with those two organizations, and they are a wealth of knowledge for those who are experiencing arthritis. That is awesome. You know, one of the things I really quick wanted to bring up was there was an article that I read on Facebook that had, it was, I think it was sexy people with chronic illnesses. And I thought I saw your face in there somewhere, right? Oh, yes. I, okay. So I, I made the Daily Mail UK and BBC News for a hashtag that went viral from Andrew Gerza, a cerebral palsy advocate from Toronto. He just created this amazing hashtag called Disabled People Are Hot. And I just felt so honored that I was able to represent those living with an invisible disability and that England seems to love me for some reason, which is cool. <laughs> 
Because you're a cool chick. That's why you're just a cool chick. You know, it's just knowing that I'm able to stand for a cause, and hey, I've got a different appearance. So why not? Why not just wing it and just throw it out there? Because I am being myself, and I am standing for a cause in me. So it's something I enjoy doing. Well, I think it's great what you're doing, and I can't wait to see you at Healthy Voices uh, in Texas in, in almost some, uh, less than a month. It's going to be awesome. I know. I'm so, so excited. excited. Well, mm-hmm. Eileen, thank you so much well, for joining us and, and being our second guest and having us, you know, do this amazing show with you. We're so excited to it, learn about your work and to share your advocacy. Well, thank you. It's an absolute honor. I love what you guys are doing for patients and getting our voices out there because we definitely deserve to be heard. And we are so much stronger when we stand together, even if we don't have the same illness, but when we are together, we are so strong. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love well, the voices Ellie. because they represent. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks again, Eileen, and thanks to all our listeners. Um, real quick before we leave, we want to remind everyone to subscribe to our podcast. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Spotify, and then also, of course, Blog Talk Radio. Um, and then we want to remind our listeners, too, that while these methods and everything that we discussed today work for Eileen, as Eileen also mentioned, it is important to work with your own medical provider to find out what works best for you. That is true. And I just want to remind everybody that uh, we will be returning for the third episode of Healthy Voices Radio on April 5th at 2 p.m. You're going to join us here. We're going to have an amazing guest. Dakota Rosenfeld will be joining us. He is the creator of the Hemo Tool, and he will be speaking about his life and advocacy work surrounding bleeding disorders. So you don't want to miss that. And then we're going to be coming to you live from Healthy Voices, too, so don't forget it. Uh, follow us everywhere you can. Find us on Instagram um, and on uh, Twitter. You can follow the show at Healthy Voices. And we will be uh, everywhere. So I just want to remind people that Healthy Voices is sponsor- Healthy Voices Radio is sponsored by Janssen. And it is um, created and founded from uh, a groundbreaking leadership. I'm sorry, conference. Uh, let me re- start that over. My bad. This is produced and sponsored by Janssen. <laughs> Uh, Healthy Voices is a groundbreaking leadership conference created exclusively to empower online healthy ad- health advocates. For more information on Healthy Voices, please don't forget to follow us at HealthyVoices.com and the show on Instagram and Twitter at Healthy Voices. Brady, what a great show, uh, amazing guest, and I can't wait for uh, the next show in two weeks. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to talking to Dakota about um, blood disorders. Um, he's a hemophiliac, and um, like you, I met him uh, at our at the last Healthy Voices conference, uh, he's an amazing young man doing uh, great things. I actually just saw on Facebook where he was he and his mother were um, at the uh, state capitol in Missouri testifying before state Congress um, on on these issues. So he's going to be a great great guest, and looking forward to talking to him on April fifth. Yeah, one of the great things about uh, him is he's also one of the recipients of the Impact Fund. So that's something that we're going to talk about because uh, that's something we'll be, uh, I believe, doing here at Healthy Voices in uh, in a month. So we want to thank everybody again for tuning in. If you missed uh, the first show or the first episode, you can go back onto iTunes or Blog Talk Radio and listen to the interview that we did with Barbie Engel. And again, uh, thank you uh, to our guest, Eileen Davidson. For more information on her, you can go to chronicEileen.com. And we're going to end the show with our friend, Barbie Engel um, from the iPain International Pain Foundation is going to be sharing her song with us again. I hope it's true. So we want to thank everybody for listening and remind everybody, hope it's true. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone.